Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Hey, so I'm Joel. A few years ago, I got a phone call from this guy. He said, hey, my name's Robert Mullins, and I'm going to be your friend. And I was like, cool. And I didn't know I needed another friend, but I am so grateful that Robert decided he was going to be my friend because he has been a tremendous, I mean, just what an amazing dude he is. And we figured out last night, we were taking these personality tests, and we figured out why we get along so well. We have very compatible personalities. So um, anyways, it's so good to be with you guys this morning. I'm excited about this whole week. We've got a bunch of events coming up, and we're going to be talking over the next few days um, in this Connecting the Dots conference, we're calling it. Uh, It's all based on a book that I have coming out in March. And it has been, it's been, you know, writing is kind of like prayer with a keyboard. Sometimes when you write, you figure out what you're really thinking. And this book has been something that has really helped me see how God's hand has been at work in my life throughout the years, even when I didn't see it. Because here's what I've found about God's work. He's always working, but most of the time we can't see it or understand it. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, he's a philosopher, he said, life is lived forward but it can only be understood looking backwards. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. My goal is to show you that God has been preparing you in every season of your life. He's given you a message to share and a problem to solve. You are not here by accident. Yes, your mama may have said you were an accident, but you weren't. God brought you here for a specific reason at this place in time, and he has put you here for a very specific reason. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which the Father himself prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So that's the framework we're going to be talking about, but I want to start with telling you a story this morning about one of the craziest, most wacky, insane seasons of my life. Um, I was just about starting to start leading these outdoor expeditions that, that Robert was talking about. And uh, I had a, my first speaker lined up. Everything was going really amazingly great. I was like, man, my life is about to change. I was serving on staff at a church, but I knew God was calling me to more. But what I found out he was calling me to was not exactly what I wanted. Because I got a phone call, and it was my friend David. And David was a missionary in the worst part of Mexico, in Acapulco, Mexico, in kind of the hub of, like, where all the narcos, you know what, do you know the word narcos? Narcos means drug dealers and the the cartels, right? And he was a missionary serving in this town, and it was kind of a hub for drug dealers. And he called me and he said, hey, Joel, we feel like God is calling us to move back to the U.S., and we think God is telling us to tell you that we're, that you're the one that's supposed to replace us. And I was like, whoa, no, bro, that is not my calling. He's like, I know you're the least likely candidate, but we feel God has asked us to call you and say, would you consider taking over this ministry? Now, I knew a thing or two about this ministry because I had gone down and visited them. And um, David had some pretty unorthodox missionarying tactics. Is that a word, missionarying? Uh, in fact, he got into a, a battle with the head of the gang one time and got into a fist fight in the middle of the street. And he had managed to take the head of the gang down to the ground and had him in a chokehold. And all of the neighborhood was watching and they were like, oh, the missionary's going to kill this guy. But he got up and walked away. And anyways, he had led a lot of people in the community to the Lord through some pretty unorthodox missionarying. But that wasn't me, man. I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter, right? 
And uh, I, was, I was like, David, I, I'm, you know, David's like six foot six. He's this towering giant dude. I'm just a skinny little white guy, right? And he would, man, he just had these, this t- these tactics that I just could not relate to. I didn't know anything about. I wasn't a street fighter, you know, but he's like, yeah, you're, you know, I, I think you're supposed to do it. And I was like, David, that is not my calling. I'm about to start leading these outdoor adventures. And he's like, I, I'm telling you, I think you need to pray about it. And I was like, that's, you know what? I'll pray about it. And everybody knows in the Christian world, like, you know, I'll pray about it. That's how you blow people off, right? Somebody asks you to serve in the kids ministry. Let me pray about that, brother. Then you look all spiritual and, you know. So uh, I hung up the phone, went on planning my outdoor adventures. And he calls me back 10 days later, 10 days, 14 days later, something like that. And he calls me. He's like, hey, what'd you hear? I was like, about what? He goes, dude, you didn't even pray about it? I was like, David, you don't follow up when somebody says I'm going to pray about it. That's a Christian rule. Somebody says I'm going to pray about it means leave me alone. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And he's like, well, well, what is Emily? Emily's my wife. What does she think? And I was like, come on, man. I, was, I hadn't even told Emily because I knew she would pray about it. And I didn't want that. So he said, like, what does she say? I'm like, well, uh, he's like, you didn't tell her, did you? I was like, well, no, she's been gone. And interestingly enough, she had felt a few months earlier like God was telling her to go practice her Spanish. So she had been to Guatemala at the time that David called me studying Spanish for two weeks, intensive language study. Of course, I didn't, you know, purely coincidence. It wasn't like, you know. So I called Emily. And I was like, Emily, blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing. She goes, I think we need to check it out. I was like, I don't want to check it out. Long story short, we felt like God was calling us to move to Mexico and take over this ministry. But I, I, I thought I had one out, and my out was going to be this. We had to raise support as missionaries. And it usually takes about a year to do that, to raise support as missionaries. So I thought, man, this is going to take a year. By the time the year is up, they'll have found somebody to come in and fill in for us. I'm off the hook. We'll raise support. So I sent out a letter. I said, hey, we feel God's calling us to Mexico, blah, blah, blah. Send out the letter thinking, you know, nobody will respond. We were fully funded after one letter. I was ticked. (laughs) Like, God, what in the world? Not only that, we needed a truck. We had two trucks donated to us. Like, there's your sign. We moved to Mexico, and it was the worst year of my life. I'll tell you about it during the conference. We, we got into a high-speed police chase. We got into a, we fell out of favor with the head of the gang, and he threatened our life, and we were holed up in our house for days on end trying to stay alive. Um, we had our house broken into. Our church had everything stolen out of it. It was an absolutely horrible year. And then after a year, my friend David called, and he's like, hey, we feel like maybe it's time to shut down the ministry. And I was like, I just moved my family down to Mexico to do this thing. And part of me was like, sweet, I want out of here anyway. But we packed up, moved back to the US. And I remember when we left Mexico after a year thinking, what in the world was that? It was the worst year of my life. We had our life threatened. I was constantly afraid. I was constantly angry. You know, I heard a story about a guy who walked out his front door one day and he sees this little snail on the ground and he picks it up, looks at it, and pitches it across the yard and goes on his way. Well, a year later, he hears this knock on the door. This guy does, and he opens the door. There's nobody there. He looks down, there's a snail, and the snail goes, what was that all about? Some of y'all get it in a second. 
I was that snail. And here's what I know about everybody in this room. You have a season of your life, a window of time where you look at that and you're like that snail. You go, what was that all about? You were trying your best to serve the Lord and then something happened that knocked you across the yard and it's taken you a year just to crawl back to where you started from. You have some seasons of your life where you're like, I wish I never would have met that person. What happened after I met that person? Oh my gosh, the chaos that ensued. I wish I never would have said yes to that. I wish I never would have done that. And some of you, you thought you were serving the Lord, like you were following the Lord, and he led you right into a situation where you were like, what was that all about? It's a painful experience. Just maybe completely confusing. Maybe you're still trying to clean up the mess of what happened while you were trying your best to do what you thought God was calling you to do. We've all got these seasons of life where we look around and we go, God, what were you doing? And that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning, setting the table for what we're going to be talking about over the next few days. Because like I said a second ago, I believe that God is always at work in our lives, and he's always doing stuff to accomplish the purpose of this. He wants to get glory for himself, and he wants that glory to flow through us to the world around us. That's what he's talking about when he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God is always at work bringing glory to himself through his children. But he does it in some really wacky ways. In fact, I'm convinced, in the Apostle Paul at one point, he says this, he says, brothers, I want you to know, and this is Philippians, he's talking to the Philippian church, he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Somehow in the middle of Paul being in prison, he got this perspective and he all of a sudden realized, you know what, even in the middle of this bad situation, God is actually using this to advance the gospel. Like he's using this to bring his glory to the world through me. And yeah, I don't like the situation I'm in. But even through this, he's doing something that is advancing his kingdom. And I get to be a part of it. And God's work in our life, as much as I wish it was a straight line from A to B, I'm convinced it's more like a circle. In fact, in Psalm 23, it's very fascinating. As I've been studying for this book, I discovered in Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And that word path in Hebrew is a very strange word. It's magol, M-A-G-O-L. And it means paths made of circles. And I'm convinced that God's work in our life is more like an ever-expanding circle, maybe a spiral, than it is a straight line where we keep coming back to certain themes, maybe certain places, certain time frames, certain situations. We're like, oh, we're doing this again? Wow, I, man, I never thought I'd be back in Elmore, Alabama, but here I am again. I swore to never come back, but the Lord has made it clear I'm supposed to be here. Wherever it is, there's these time frames. I know in our life, there was a period of time where like every five years, something major changed. I'm convinced God's work in our life, like he says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. And you know, sheep, when they're going up a hill, they're all big poofy, got skinny legs. A good shepherd gently leads them up. He doesn't lead them up the steepest part. He gently guides them in a circular path up to the heights where the good stuff is. And I'm absolutely convinced that God's work in our life is more like a circle. And, and the more I speak about this around the country, the more I see heads nod when I start talking about this. They're like, yeah, that's been my experience. I wish it was a straight line from A to B, but he seems to do these circles. And, and who likes walking in circles? I don't. Ask the children of Israel. They did it for 40 years. But through that... 
God was preparing the children of Israel. He was strengthening them for their greatest call, which was to conquer the land that he was about to give them. And I believe that's an example for all of us. God's love, he's calling us to expand who we are, and he's going to stop at nothing to do it. In 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul says this. He says, if we're out of our minds, uh, it is for you. And he says, if we're in our right mind, it is for you. For God's love compels us. Now, this word compels is fascinating because if you read some translations, it actually says constrains, right? To compel is to push forward. To constrain means to hold like this. You go, well, which one is it? It's both. Here's another weird Greek word that Paul uses. The word is this, suneko is how you say it. And the word literally means, it, it has like all sorts of figurative and literal meanings. It means to be held by. That's why some versions say the, power, the love of Christ constrains us. But it also means to impel, to push forward. You're like, well, how can it be both? Well, the best analogy I've come up with for it is like, it's like a, a, a tube of toothpaste. God's love comes around us and he squeezes us and pushes us out to become all that he knows he has created us to be. So God's love is what's pushing us out. And, and when, he, when he pushes you out, he'll call you to do some stuff that people look at and go, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? People like us don't do that. Or what are you thinking? This is the worst possible time to do that. Have you not seen the economy, the trends where it's going, the inflation? This is the worst possible time to do that. But you're like, no, I just, something in me, man, is telling me I've got to do this. And God's love throughout our life pushes us outward, expands who we are. And you say, well, what's he expanding us out from? Well, he's trying to help us conquer our fears and our limitations. So I'm going to blow through something real quick, and you're going to go, wait, I need to know more about that triangle, okay? I wrote a whole book about what I'm about to talk about in about two minutes. If you're like, I need to know more about that, it's available out there in the lobby. It's 10 bucks. If you can't afford it, just tell them this one's on Joel, but you better read it if you just take one, okay? It's out there. But all of us, we start from this place, this small circle of fear. And what are we afraid of? If you think about it in the Garden of Eden, the first emotion that Adam and Eve felt when they, when they sinned, it was fear, it says they realized they were naked and they were afraid. And, and, and they were afraid because what happened is they were separated in that moment from the perfect source of love. And we all have three basic hopes and dreams in life, okay? So there's this triangle up here. We have a need for security. We all want a sense of safety and, and, and know that we're going to be taken care of. Uh, we all need a sense of connection. This is just relationship with others. We need to know that people care about us, that we're valued, that we're affirmed, that we're seen, that we're heard. And then we all need a sense of control or empowerment, like that we have the ability to make our own decisions. And if you think about it, before sin or end of the world, God gave us all of those. He's like, hey, perfect garden, do your thing, enjoy life, right? Perfect connection, so much so that we walked with God in the cool of the day, like it said he would come down and hang out with us. And then we had a sense of, of, of empowerment and control. He said, do anything you want, man. The place is yours. Run naked and free. Just don't touch that. Don't, don't eat from that tree over there. Of course, what did we do? We ate from the tree and sin entered the world. And as soon as it did, fear entered. And what we ended up fearing was not getting the security, the connection, control we needed. And what those fears look like, the fear of when you don't get security is a fear of being abandoned. That's a primal fear, man. Every one of us, we do not want to be abandoned. And, and some people throughout our lives were seeking for the security of, you know, maybe if you were abandoned early on by a parent or you felt emotionally abandoned, you're looking for security. You're looking in the connection corner, if you felt a lack of connection, your fear is rejection. 
You say yes to everything because you don't want to be rejected. You always are built, you know, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that. You want to be people, you're people pleasing and all of that's focused on, a, and on this fear of not getting rejected. And we do so much in our fear, in, in our in trying to keep from this fear of being rejected uh, influencing us. My corner, the one I'm super sensitive to is the corner of humiliation. Everything I do is always focused on how do I keep things in my control and not be embarrassed. And we're driven by that because it's a primal fear, these primal fears of security. And, and there's these responses in the book. I talk about the, the, the defense mechanisms we use. Um, the defense mechanism for security is self-absorption. Um, connection, the, the defense mechanism addi- is addiction and self-gratifying behaviors. And then in the corner of control and humiliation, it's, it's obsessive, got to control everything. And we're living this way. We're like, man, we're in this small circle. We're like, man, I got to make sure all of my needs are met. And then Jesus comes along and he says, hey, if you're worried about your security, connection, and control, you're worried, he says in Matthew 6, he says, you're worried about what you're going to eat, where you're going to live, what, what you're going to wear. But I'm telling you this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all that stuff you're looking for, the security, the connection, the control, will be given to you as well. But you don't get it by seeking security, connection, or control. You don't get it by seeking the bank account or one more promotion or enough money in the bank. You get it by seeking the kingdom of God. And then in some magic, mysterious, miraculous way, all of that other, thing, all that other stuff you're looking for materializes. So God sees us and he finds us in this place of, of, of fear. And he says, I need you to move beyond your fear. And the way he pushes us beyond our fear, First John, it says... It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Remember that God's love comes in, he fills us, and he begins to push us out beyond our fear of not having security, beyond our fear of being rejected, beyond our fear of not being in control, and he pushes us out to become all we're called to be. And this is what he says in 1 John. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we're God's children right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We live in a world that says, accept yourself as you are and you'll be happy. Which is a partial truth. Because you know you and I know me. And we're looking like, I don't like that part about me. I don't like the fact that I always do this or I always do that. And the truth is, there is an element of having to accept who you are, but you don't accept who you are apart from Christ. When you come into Christ, that's the foundation. You accept, I'm not enough, but he is what is enough. And when Christ comes in us, it says, right now, we have a new identity. We are the sons and the daughters of God, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at, oh, I'm loved by Jesus. I'll just sit here and enjoy being loved by Jesus. That's the start of it. Being loved by Jesus is what pushes us out to become all we are called to be. And he pushes us out to do things for him that bring him glory. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes he sends us out into seasons where we go, why is he doing this? Did I, did I miss God on this? I thought I heard God. And he calls us into these challenges, and sometimes it struggles. You know, there's this verse in Acts that it says, through much suffering, we enter the kingdom of God. And I look at that, and I go, I don't like that verse. I wish it said, through eating Twinkies, we entered the kingdom of God. But it doesn't. He pushes us through 
into situations that are challenging. And, and, and the crazy thing is there's, there's sometimes there's some suffering in this world that's absolutely necessary to become all that we're called to be. And I don't like that God uses suffering, but he does. That's what he uses. But in the middle of it all, we can be confident of this. We know that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. And we start from a place of recognizing that the security, the connection, the control we're looking for is never going to come from who you know, what you have, what you've accomplished. All that stuff, it really can be taken away from you. But you know what cannot be taken away from you? The love of God that is in your heart, pushing you out to become all that he wants you to be. He's coming, he wraps around you and says, I love you. Now get out there and bring me glory. And he squeezes you. And it's a loving way. It's a loving squeeze. You know what it's like, right? But we all come to a place where we have to recognize that right now we are accepted, but we don't hang out there, right? So you start from a place of accepting who you are, but never sacrifice what you could be for what you are now. And that's the lie the world tells you. They're like, just accept yourself as you are, but you know there's more in you than you are right now. And God knows there's more in you. So what he does is he will stop at nothing to make you into all he's made you to be. And that's why it says, so we rejoice in our suffering. For we know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So it says we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is permanent. And right before that, he says that all of this suffering we're going through is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, which is beyond all comparison. That's God's goal for you. And he will stop at nothing to do it. And every one of you have a unique journey to walk. There's something unique he's put in your path. And usually, the greatest message, message you have for the world comes from that season of life that you would rather just forget about, move on, and say, I don't ever want to revisit that. I look at Acapulco in Mexico, and I remember that whole season, I was just afraid and angry. And the funny thing is, I started writing a book back then about perspective, and I had none. All I had was a bunch of fear and anger and wishing I wasn't where I was doing my best to serve the Lord, and everything was just coming on, crashing in around me. But now, years later, I look back and I say, wow, that season in Mexico was literally the most important, probably the most important season in my life up to this point, because what he prepared me for there, first of all, he brought a bunch of nasty stuff to the surface that needed to come out. He brought my fear to the surface. He brought my anger to the surface. And interestingly enough, a lot of what I talk about to people is fear and anger, <laughs> So he's redeemed that. He's taken that season where I wish I, if it was a test, I probably made a D if I'm, if I'm lucky, right? But he's taken that and he said, I'm going to take your D and I'm going to turn it into something that helps other people. So my struggles with fear and anger during that time, I've written books about them and it's, it's, it's helped a lot of people and, and, it, and it's something that God did. It's nothing I did, but he used that season to redeem. And right now I've written this book about perspective and I've found that that season was so important in preparing me for what God had ahead for me. And throughout the, throughout the next few days, I'll be talking to you about what God prepared with, for me. But, but here's what I want to close with. My story is no different from your story. God has been working in your life in every season of life, preparing you for something incredible. 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived what God has in store for those who put their hope and trust in him. And wherever you're at in life, maybe you're in your 20s right now just getting started, God has been preparing you for something ahead. And maybe you're in the twilight years here and you're going, well, I don't know if God still wants to use me. Listen, if you're still around, God still has a plan for you. My grandpa on his deathbed, he was always trying to take care of himself. He, had a, he was crippled his whole life. He had polio, so he had a, a stiff leg. And he was always worried about his security. And I remember in the last few months of his life, he was laying in his bed. And he said, you know, Joel, God has taught me more about who he is laying in this bed over the last six weeks than I think he has my entire life. God will, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You can count on this. So whatever you're going through right now, maybe you're in a season right now where you're in the throes of going, what is going on, God? Don't doubt. Do not doubt that he is working right now in the situation. Maybe you're looking back at your life and going, man, look at all the mistakes I've made. Hey, listen, don't doubt this either. He can even take the mistakes you made and turn them into something that gives you a mission and a message. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few sessions. I want to encourage you. I know it's football season. There's a lot of good football on today. Skip the football, record it, come to what we're going to be, to this session we're going to be talking about. Because I've just seen over and over throughout this material that God begins to open our eyes to the fact that, man, he really is working in us. And you have a purpose and a calling on this planet. And he's already been preparing for you for it, even when you didn't realize he was preparing you. Because God, he who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. And you can be confident of this. We know that all things are working together for the good of those who love him those who are called according to his purpose. You guys receive that? Let me pray for you guys. Real quick, uh, I send out a, um, a weekly Monday morning, I send out a, a little encouraging email. If you want to sign up for that, just text my name to that phone number. Um, you can text that, and then again, I'll be here the next uh, few days so we can talk if you want to talk about anything. But let me pray for you guys. Father, we thank you so much that you have a plan and a purpose for our life. We are not here by accident. You are working all things together for your glory and for our joy. And we thank you that we get to be part of that. So I pray for anyone here this morning, man, they're struggling. They're in a hard battle right now. Maybe in their marriage, maybe in their finances, maybe a health struggle. Lord, I pray that you would just infuse them with a sense of confidence and, and some perspective this morning, realizing even in the middle of this, the worst thing that could ever happen to them you are at work and you will accomplish your purpose and we can be confident that your plan for our life is what we would want our plan to be if we knew all the details. And we thank you that you do know all the details. You know exactly what it's going to take to expand that circle of who we are to get us beyond our fear and to help us live in your love. So I thank you for that. And if you're here this morning and, and maybe you haven't started that relationship with Jesus, you already know who you are as I've been talking. You've been feeling the conviction in your heart. I'm going to say a prayer in just a second and, and I'm going to say this, and it's not magic formula or anything, but if you say this and you mean it with everything in your heart, God is going to come and transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's going to set you up an eternal address in eternity. It starts when we say this. Let's all say this prayer together. Lord Jesus, we repent of our sin. We turn from our way. We turn to your way. Help us walk in your truth. Amen. Hey, if you just said that prayer, welcome to the kingdom of God. The path has begun. It's going to be an exciting journey for you. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. I look forward to seeing all of you this afternoon. What time does it start? 4.30? 4.30. It'll be good. I'll keep it interesting with lots of stories. And we've also got a really great workbook that I've used to help. A lot. I've coached a lot of people through 
through this workbook to help them find the mission, the message, and the work that God has been doing in their life and help, help them see that, man, God really is working all things together for your good. Thanks a bunch. You guys be blessed.